In concluding our somewhat extended consideration of the important question, what do we know about the righteousness of God from the Bible, we hasten on in the fifth place to a happier theme, in the hope that many will respond to God's great and wonderful salvation through repentance and faith in the atoning death of Christ. God is not able to extend mercy in the forgiveness and salvation of a soul without involving his righteousness. This subject will be discussed at length when the nature of the atonement of Christ is considered, but a view of the righteousness of God without this carefully thought-out aspect of his nature would be deficient indeed. The forgiveness of sinners is a profoundly complex matter. Punishment, basically, is to deter sin and to prevent its commission. In forgiveness, God proposes to set aside his threatened punishment. If this is done in the treatment of some, what shall be substituted in the place of punishment to demonstrate to all moral beings that sin cannot be committed without dire consequences? Something has to be substituted, and this is where God's righteousness enters the picture to dictate what his policy of mercy shall be. A God of love cannot jeopardize his whole moral realm because he loves the welfare of all too much for this. His own nature would be subject to misinterpretation if the matter of sin were arbitrarily dealt with. God cannot act unwisely, or he would then cease to be love. Then, too, man needs a great humbling force of some sort to utterly subdue what the scriptures call the old man. This would indeed be subdued by the dreadful punishment that shall come upon lost souls as we read that every knee shall bow. But pardon and mercy cannot be granted apart from some equivalent measure to humble men and establish righteousness in God's moral realm. But in the first place, the measures of God's righteousness in making a merciful salvation possible is not a substitute for personal righteousness in man in salvation. God can never dispense with the necessity of personal holiness in any plan of salvation. Nothing less than this would be a state of happiness, both here and hereafter. And certainly God cannot will man's unhappiness. Let us consider a few scriptures declaring that salvation is in a state of righteousness or a state of holiness. We read back in Genesis 7-1 concerning Noah, and the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So Noah was declared to be righteous. As we turn to the 12th chapter of Deuteronomy and verse 28, here obedience was said to be good and right, and certainly nothing else would do. Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. And again in Deuteronomy 13, 18, 
God's commandments are right. Can God require less than this? There we read, When thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God to keep all his commandments, which I command thee this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. In 1 Kings 11 and verse 38, we read that God cannot certainly lower his requirements below the necessity of walking in his ways. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and wilt walk in my ways, and do that which is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. As we come to the twelfth chapter of Proverbs, and verse 5, there we read that the thoughts of the righteous are right. God's salvation must penetrate to the conquest of the thought life. And as we go on to Isaiah 45 and verse 23, we read, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Certainly salvation is not possible from the complete and total humbling of all mankind if they're going to be saved. But we come to the New Testament and read the great conclusive passage in the 8th chapter of Romans, verses 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So this great passage sums up New Testament salvation to be a happy state of obedience to God, a fulfillment of God's standard in a new and glorious relationship and should certainly never be less than a state of righteousness. In 2 Timothy 2.22 we read that salvation is to follow righteousness with a pure heart. As we come to 1 John 2.29 we read, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God. And again in 3.7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And verse 10, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So God has no plan of salvation that dispenses with the necessity of personal righteousness in those being saved. But in the second place, the word of God makes the plain assertion that God has succeeded in being righteous in the matter of man's salvation. The 98th Psalm is a psalm of praise for the manifestation of righteousness before all in the matter of man's salvation. And in verse 2 we read, The Lord hath made him known his salvation, his righteousness had he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. And in the 45th chapter of Isaiah, verses 21 and 22, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. 
for I am God, and there is none else. So I, Isaiah declared that God was a just God in man's salvation. In Zechariah 9, 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. This is a prophecy concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, who should be just and have salvation. Stephen affirmed in his great message of what the prophets had spoken concerning the coming of the just one. Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, referred to the Lord Jesus as the Son of Righteousness, who would arise with healing in his wings for the souls of men. In 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, we are specifically told that salvation is through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. These terms are in apposition, referring to the same person. In the third place, more specifically, how can God manifest his righteousness and still forgive guilty sinners? Briefly, the sufferings of Christ for the sins of the whole world were substituted for the punishment of sinners, which becomes effective in individual lives through sincere and humble repentance and obedient faith that springs from the heart. We are told, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And we turn to the first chapter of the great epistle to the Romans, where we read in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, that is written, the just shall live by faith. So the righteousness of God is revealed in salvation. In Philippians 3.9, the apostle again wrote about the righteousness which is of God by faith, or more literally, the out of from God righteousness upon the faith. But the great classic passage on the righteousness of God in salvation is found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 on through 26. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. And then notice this statement, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So through the glorious redemption in Christ Jesus, God is able to be righteous in every obligation and still pardon sinners freely by his grace upon their sincere and humbling repentance. And so sinners are justified freely by the grace of God. They are pardoned freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And as the Lord Jesus took upon his heart 
the sins of the whole world. He became the sin-bearer for the whole world of mankind, the great effective atonement so that all might be saved by coming to him in utter prostration of heart, acknowledging guilt, pleading for the forgiveness and mercy of God through the death of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, we read that sin must be utterly confessed if we are to be forgiven and cleansed. There is no compromise with the matter of sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That is, if we say we do not have any sins in our lives that we need to be forgiven and cleansed from, we are deceiving ourselves. But if we do this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The condition of salvation then is a confession and acknowledgement of sin. Because the Lord Jesus has died for the sins of the world, God may be just in doing what he always wants to do, forgive sinners whenever this is possible, and that through the grace of Christ we may be cleansed in our hearts from all sin. Our Heavenly Father, as we close this consideration of thy righteousness, how we extol thy name for such a glorious plan of salvation, that thou mightest be merciful to repentant sinners, and at the same time be righteous and just to all thy obligations. How we pray that many may respond to thy tender pleadings this day in Jesus' name. Amen.